don't be no slow motion or still life of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on Search for Tomorrow because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry R. Women Liberationist and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keyes, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or The Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. Hey, 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 y'all. Welcome, welcome. We are separate and together for another round. Is this a round? We're still figuring it out of what we like to call being in that world life of dancers. I am Melanie, still trying to figure it out. And uh, I have my mic muted, Jay Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> and I am, I have my mic muted, Jay Bowie. And this is where we're at today. And welcome to the Dance Union. Union. Podcast. Uh, how you doing today, Melanie? I'm doing really well. We had a really great whole juicy ass conversation before this, so I am activated and ready to go and keep going, riding this wave until it wants to come cresting down, which I also appreciate. Which, yeah, and so yeah, we I like the I like the highs, the lows, the mids. You know, yep. music has a lot of different elements to it. So, some songs need a lot of bass, and some songs just need a lot of hi hats. Yep, and we just hope that that bass don't give you anxiety. You know, sometimes you, I'm learning how to roll with it. Maybe that's how I'm doing. I'm like people have been people that I have not checked in with as um, in a while when I do check in with them, and I'm like trying to contextualize all this all this space and time and what has happened in it, I'm realizing that the truth is like, hey, um, I'm just doing all right. I've been I've been up and down, I've been riding the waves and um I think I'm learning about resiliency in this way. Like mm-hmm. when I'm in the dark and I'm in the basement and I'm and I can't get out of bed and 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 it hurts to exist. Like, I just be like, I just let all those things be true. Um, and like, just sit in it as long as it makes sense. Um, and I mean, like, and then the what it makes sense thing is a whole other kind of like assessment. But that one for myself is always just based in, um, is there meaning in this moment? Have I found meaning in this moment? Can I extrapolate meaning out of this moment? And when I feel like I can't, that lets me know I need to stay in it a little bit longer. Like, right. And this is what I love. Like one thing I've I've been practicing a lot more in this quarantine is that um, I I try to like listen to myself. No, I try. I do. Every morning I'm like, Melanie, what would make you feel good today? What would bring you joy today? And I, you know, I have a task of things that I need to do. And there's some things I want to do. And I'm like, so, but of all these things, what will bring you joy today? What do you feel like doing? What does your spirit feel called to do? And I've been moving from that place. And it's actually been extremely exciting. And I don't know that I've been listening to myself in the same way mm-hmm. uh, before. And interestingly, last week, I was had a really like draining emotional day and physical day. And so I found this like house dress moo that my mom had. Mm-hmm. And 
to commit to my day of rest, I put that sucker on. So Amen. even if I forgot it, I was like, oh no, we got the moomoo on today. We are resting. Yep. That's okay. investing in this day of rest. That's a wonderful tip. Yeah. So it was so much fun. It was like, I like, you know, and my mom knew she's like, oh, Melanie's got the moomoo on today. So yeah, that's where I met today. Yep. And then also, yeah. Huh? I have a wrapping up kind of statement, so I don't want to use that until you (laughs) you have more to say. Well, no, I was just going to say something about like our ability to sort of ride the waves and the crests and Mm -hmm. the the, va- the peaks and the valleys, the ebbs and the flows is that we we have tools to know that we can also support ourselves in it and on our way out of the different parts of it. You know? Thank you. And we're going to we're gonna actually make a moment for this in our conversation today, but I just want to let everyone know that it's not what Melanie and, Melanie and I do as individual people that is like the key to life. It's more about how we use the knowledges that are accessible to all of us and make the, our meaning out of it based on our lives. So what we need, yeah. When you said tools, it just reminded me of something I often tell people when they ask me about like mental health things. And it's like, what do you do? What is your practice? What is this? And I'm just like, it kind of like, it is not anything. <laughs> it's it's um, like I, the moment that I contextualize it to you, it's kind of like it's no longer that thing anymore because that's how dynamically changing and shifting and growing it is. So the best way I can visualize it is that there are a bevy of tools and practices that I am aware of and have used before, and I use those. And then when those don't work, I have to go find new ones. Yeah. And I think, but at the core of what you're saying is there's a deep listening. Mm-hmm. First. There's like, Right. Because for me, it's like I, I have a I have a whole toolbox of things I love to do. And it's like, you know, writing is one of them. And some days that doesn't feel my, mm-hmm. my doesn't feel called to do that. And so it's like, OK, well, what is oh, I want to read today or today's I'm going for a walk with just like all these different things. And it just depends. But it requires a deep listening. First, listen, 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 Um. I think this would be a great time for us to transition over to dance excellence. Excellent. Forgot about it until today, and I was supposed to make a post about it last week so we could have some from the audience. But that is on my Dance Union podcast to do list today. So, week three of this is probably going to have some audience inclusion. But what that has allowed for me to do is to make space for actually something I've been meaning to. Um, meaning to highlight in my life specifically on this podcast is dance magazine. And I mean this in a sense of like, not the full entity and history that is dance magazine, but the efforts that dance magazine has been doing in the recent years to address its own history, its own whitewash history, its own mm-hmm. trick history, its own um, inaccessible to all forms of dance history, essentially. And I know that work is being done by specific radical individuals who are asking for articles to be written, who are looking for specific stories, who are doing the legwork to make sure, and I and and I know that I'm a benefactor of it. Well, not I, we are a benefactor of it because they took that meme uh, and that night didn't take it. They saw the meme of like white institutions, white supremacy and, and higher ed and dance looks like this SpongeBob meme, asked me to write more about it. And now that has a wonderful life of its own on the internet. Um, and I feel like the people who are working within dance magazine, who 
are doing this work, it is going. It's not going unnoticed. That's and, and even right now during this COVID situation, they've been they have they have been a source for me to know what's going on in the dance world, um, and what and what to expect. So, you know, shout out to in- institutions and people working within institutions to make some radical change. Yes, Ashe, Ashe. Uh, yeah, thanks for bringing uh, Dance Magazine into the mix. I have four articles posted with them, and I just went and looked back at it quickly. Like, the first one was 2017. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, there was very few spaces that were that was giving me a platform to actually talk about the um, things that I was interested in writing about. So, like, uh, even Mana Hishimoto, who is a line choreographer and dancer, I got to meet her and interview her um, for that. And... Um, it just expanded our relationship. So I'm just like, oh, wow, a lot of, I, for, I almost forgot like some of these connections that I've made was because of um, the articles that I wrote through Dance Magazine. Uh, right, so, right, yeah. right. Absolutely. Shout out to Dance Magazine and the people. Yeah. In- um, I also want to shout out, let, okay, let's unpack this. Uh, Zeo Salente, ooh, let me not get to messing up my girl's name. Let me not get to doing it. Don't. Let me, oh, I already started in a way. I'm going to keep all this in because, like, I feel like it's important to make sure you, it's like, it's also early and Leo, is it on the website, Leo? I'm on your website. Where's your name? I got to get your last, Leo Zelenska, um, dancer, founder of Okay Lesson Practice. We had her on the podcast a couple months ago when we talked about mental health things. Um, we also done a live um, dance the dance union and okay let's unpack this in many ways they are a we are in community with this organization because of the values around um collective effort to normalize the conversation on mental health in the dance community and it's and i'm really want to say that they've been doing this work before the virus hit before the pandemic and have been responding within this lens to it in a wonderful way social media wise so Go follow Okay Let's Unpack This on Instagram. Go file. Go file. <laughs> CRM with my words. Go follow Lil Zelenska on Instagram as well. Um, and 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 please, not only like follow and absorb this information, but take this information and put it into practice. Yes. So that you have lenses on like how to see mental health. Um, see when your friends and community need mental health support, how to learn how to um, initiate conversations, learn how to provide sources of support and resources of support and so on and so forth. Like, let this be information that enriches your life and and give and informs your actions to enrich the lives of your community around you. Amen. Lastly, and this will be every week, shout out to the dance teachers and the teachers out here who are teaching online classes and and keeping spirit and hope and movement alive during these times. Um, Social media and the internet space is is fertile ground for us to continue to keep our art and our cultures of art making and dance making alive. So I really want to say shout out to y'all and even more shout out because, you know, I have no interest in doing it. (laughs) <laughs> and I know it's 100% necessary. And that, of course, is coupled with shout out to everybody who's been taking classes um, for whatever reason. You don't need a reason to take a class and you don't need a reason to not take a class. So lastly, shout out to all the people who are actively not taking classes and mm-hmm. whose main goals for whatever days you think your main goals are literally just surviving. When you've done that, you've done enough. Congratulations. Here's your second yeah. um Cheer. We need to start doing 7 p.m. cheers just for humanity. Like I, I appreciate that we do it for um, 
essential workers. And I also think we just need like a weekly. Bitch, you made it. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, let's just. And there goes my dance excellence corner. Excellent. So the next um, moment for us then is to jump into uh, kind of the meat and the potatoes. The um the meat substitute. No, I don't like the word substitute. Uh, the meat alternative and uh, sweet potatoes. Oh yes, <laughs> I'm here for it. Um. So, oh my God, how do do you know how to contextualize it a little bit? I just have bullet points. Um, actually, I don't. Yeah, I says okay. So we were on the, we were we were just like being friends and getting ready to do the podcast. Is talking about things that we've experienced this week and at this moment um I'm realizing or we were realizing that there's just a lot of information around us taking knowledge and putting into action that we want to center conversations on um we have some Melanie has some action items that we'll get to at a certain point we have some information to share that could possibly um help make surviving through this a bit easier but while we're preparing to do this for as like host of the podcast and, and the function of this, we are realizing that there is a limitation to how one receives knowledge when you're receiving knowledge to hopefully just model the behaviors of other people and to do like other people and to be like other people. It ends up, um, it ends up, you, like we end up missing what actually the knowledge is for is for us to make our meaning out of it and apply it to our lives and to to like go on our own quest and our own journeys to find it. So there's a there's a separation between um, leading in our lives versus being led slash being taught slash waiting for someone to tell us to do something. Um, Do you have something? You have something. Don't 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 bite your lip. Come on. I'm in this. I, I guess I'm in this moment right now where, like, you've said a lot, and I'm not sure. Like, I'm I. There's a lot to contextualize and think about, and I'm just trying to find my way okay. into it. Um, because there is a, this one conversation about the knowledge that we have access to, and then how we use that information, and then also, uh, I feel like there's also uh, some comp- some compassion or something to be acknowledged in that okay so like not everybody's expected to know everything and like for me it's important to surround myself with really smart people doing smart things so I don't have to know everything but I can also share information that I know um ask people uh their opinions and their knowledge on other things and that together we're creating this huge ecosystem to support each other Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just thinking about that too, Jay, because you know, you and I have been invited to qu- quite a few things, and it's like, which things do we have the capacity to show up for? Which ones do we we really want to show up for? And how important is is it for certain information to be disseminated? And what does it mean for us to be sharing that info? Yeah. Um. So I guess I can just say that to say, like, okay, so I'm a part of um a lot of different groups, which I'm I'm constantly assessing. And what does it mean? And what is my tenure? And one of them was talking a little bit about PPPs, which I know yeah. a lot of you've heard about, which is a PP, Melanie. PPP, a payment protection plan. 
and it oh sorry paycheck protection plan and it's for most part folks have been talking about it in terms of institutions and organizations and basically it is an opportunity for organizations to apply for a loan so that they can continue to pay their workers um and there's been a lot of talk about this loan once if you are granted this loan you can have loan forgiveness and you don't have to pay it back this is just one of the outcomes of covid well, recently I I discovered I heard, which was like mind blowing, that PPPs also apply to sole proprietors or independent artists or workers, right? So, for instance, Jay, you had a show you had a show planned in May, right? And you were going to pay a whole bunch of different artists and collaborators mm-hmm. for their services. Well, under this under this PPP, you could technically apply for it so that you can pay the folks that you promised um, wages to. So where do I go to, to apply and get this PPP money? Um, so it is, you go to, so there are several, like you get it through a bank. So here's where it gets kind of tricky, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll, uh, in the description box, wherever you're listening, we will include a link mm-hmm. to um, the Small Business Administration website, which has a way to find PPP lenders. Um, but here's the tricky thing is that like something that I heard that was happening with organizations is that it was more difficult for an organization to get a PPP if they did not already have an existing relationship with a bank. Yeah. So isn't that interesting? It's like, oh, so you've never needed to have a loan or whatever. So then they can't give you a loan. But those who are already in debt to them or already have a relationship with them mm-hmm. are much more likely to get a loan. And does credit score and credit history factor into this as well? I bet it would. Uh, right. And that's the reason I'm asking that is because um, I've, I've noticed that I've been navigating through the system with a lot of ease because my credit score looks really, really great. That's just something that shout out to Dr. Doctor. Mm. <laughs> Mr. Schindler. I might as well look. I'm an I'm a honorary doctor him in this moment. Um, mm-hmm. My high school teacher who took his senior um, English class and basically turned it into a get ready to be an adult class. Mm-hmm. And we learned how to set up good credit. And honestly, since high school, I've had like stellar credit just simply following some really little things. And I'm looking now, and I'm not saying this to like pat myself on the back. I'm just saying I'm realizing even more so how the system works to say like, oh, if you don't have credit, da, 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 you can't even, like, I am I can walk into most banks and be like, give me this amount of money, and the local credit's going to be like, all right, bet. It's so, uh, when you say that, it's so tricky, because like when I was coming out, especially in, co- in college, they were like, oh, you can't get anything unless you have credit. The only way to get credit is to get a credit card, but then they don't tell you about healthy practices with a credit card, so really it's set up to mm-hmm. get people in massive debt yeah. in order to quote-unquote have credit um so in that and I guess in direct response to that's because that's what I first learned with Dr. Schindler um he taught us that you know when you're 18 you can get a credit card um and if you don't immediately qualify for one you can put like a 50 dollar thing on it you can do it on a prepaid situation and he said do this for months if not years at a time buy one coffee a month immediately pay it off go about your life like literally just just don't even do nothing else with it just buy that one coffee Go right online, pay that thing off that same day, and go about your life. And 
from what I understand about credit card, um, credit things, and you know, go be familiar with credit karma. I'm not saying any, I'm not sharing any like insider knowledge. I'm just sharing things I learned from websites that are trying to teach us how to learn our credit. Um, if this is still a useful system once the new world like sets up, you know what I mean? This yeah, this 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 knowledge may have an expiration date on it. <laughs> but um, the thing about the credit thing was to put. Um, I learned that like how much of your credit limit you use is also as much of a factor as how quickly you pay it off if you don't have if you pay it off in time all those other things so when I saw that like keeping it's crazy because you're rewarded for having a lot of having a high credit limit and having yep. a low balance you're penalized from using the credit that you essentially been asked and awarded <laughs> So there's a secret clause in this credit card situation that immediately fucks people up because when you get a credit card and you max it out on like one purchase, let's say you just got a credit card to get a new refrigerator, you kind of like shot yourself in the foot for years to bring that credit card utilization down enough to bring your score back up. So that that major thing was huge. Yeah, I'll just, I mean, I'll share this uh, transparently, which is, I think it's important for us to know. It's like when I did my show last year, Mm-hmm. Oh, shout out. It was like a year ago, maybe like this week. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I didn't raise the amount of funds that I wanted to. And I know, and I only got this idea because I've heard other artists do it, which again is an issue. And we, sh- you know, something we should address um, is that I didn't have enough, I didn't have all the funds that I wanted to raise. And I had already agreed to pay people certain money. What I was not going to do was not pay folks. Right. And so I actually had to take out a cash advance on a credit card in order to pay folks and then really be very diligent about paying that back. Yeah. And it, it was obviously more expensive than it would have been to have been granted that money. But it was, it was extremely important to me to make sure that folks got paid. And it's interesting because now with the certain PPP, had I been in that similar situation, I could have applied for a loan yeah. as part of my business in a certain way and then gotten forgiveness made. You know what I mean? So, And that's another thing that people need to know about PPPs. If you apply for one as a sole proprietor or as a company, a dance company or something, is that loan forgiveness is not guaranteed. You actually have to apply also for loan forgiveness. Otherwise, you will have to pay it back. We will also include that link in the description box. So the two, just to recap that little bit, two parts about being an independent artist or like a like a dance company as we apply to them is to say that we have people that we need to pay and we would like this loan to help pay them. And then we also need to apply for loan forgiveness so that we actually don't have to pay it back. Correct. All right, y'all. And the loan forgiveness is very specific to... Um, you know, the COVID situation. So, you know, actually going to, I want to make that a priority for today too. Um, So yeah, yeah, for sharing that, Melanie, Um, are there other things I'm I'm actually, let me think about, because part of how we set this up was that I, Melanie was talking to me about this and I was like, wait, 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 I want to have a (laughs) podcast so I can ask you the real questions live um, that, you know, that the listeners might be asking. Um, So another question I have then is like, we got the bank, we know that our history with the bank is a factor. We're we're assuming that credit history is a factor, and we um and we have to we, we want to make sure we get loan forgiveness so that we actually don't have to pay it back. What what how would you order your steps then to prepare for this application? Jay, that's a great question. I don't know. So let me. This is what I'm going to do as we're sitting here talking. I'm going to go to uh, looking up 
a lender, mm-hmm. particularly I'm for one in, in New York, mm-hmm. and then see what it tells me and what my next steps would be. And that way we know all together. I was also thinking, thank you for that. And I was also thinking about like, as we get ready to look at it, like what, what kind of self-assessments should we take into account? Like similar to like when we wrote that application, like if you don't, if you are, I don't know, I'm, I'm making too many analogies. I guess what I just want to know is should I sit down and be like, okay, let me look at my credit score real quick. Let me look at my, um, my relationship with banks real quick. Let me get that set up. Let me make sure that I, um, get the, the 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 documents of like how much I was going to pay people where's my budget like all these other things set up uh to apply to let folks know you know I think the the best answer to give is this is that I think once you determine which bank you would like to to work with is to call them directly because I think all of them are going to have different uh protocols for what they're asking for and how they're asking for it That's um right. You know what I'm saying? And that way, I because I was getting ready to look on the website and I, I went through three steps. And I was like, no, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to sort of swim through this website looking for this. Mm-hmm. I want to, I'm just going to call somebody. Yeah. Who can oh, do this? And if, well, we all, call centers are struggling right now with the COVID situation too. So that might be another True. role. Well, I mean, you got to come with a couple of patients, for sure. Okay, yeah, okay. Take it. I w- okay, I would say first thing prepare is prepare some hours in your day. That there we go. Designate some hours. So this is how I do things. When I apply for funding like that the Jerome Foundation situation, I would sit down and I'll be like, "All right, I'm giving myself 36 hours to cry, scream, walk away, smoke, take a nap, run outside, break some shit um in the time of getting this application in." <laughs> yes and and be realistic like, i think that's what's super important too it's like especially with like application it's like don't say oh i'm gonna knock this out in two hours mm-hmm. like how realistic is that yeah yeah well realistic yeah. for other people too like for me realistic like two hours i don't do nothing like in two hours i'm i have adhd i don't focus well i i'm very emotional <laughs> yeah. i gotta give myself days right Oh, I did just like Google uh, PPPs and uh, um, TD Bank because I bank with them, right? And then it, it does, it, it easily takes you, quickly takes you to uh, the site. And then it says who can apply. Small business concerns is defined by the CSBA, a business nonprofit organization, a business with an NAICS code, a sole proprietor, an independent contractor, and self-employed. Awesome. There we go. So there goes the window for everyone. Most artists are going to fall into, I feel like, the latter two halves, unless you have done something specific to set yourself up with, like, LLCs and, like, other kinds of, like, bank tax ID languages and stuff like that. But specifically for the sole, the the self-employed artists, the ones of us who are out here straddling the lines between being a performance artist and someone else's work and hiring other people to pay them in the works that we create, we also qualify go and apply. Um, Don't miss this opportunity to make sure that your employees are going to be paid. And I think just to be like real transparent and radical with the two, you are also an employee of the work that you make as well when you perform it and choreograph it. So like, this is not just for other people. This is also to make sure that you're good too. Yes. And also look, as you're talking, I found also what you need to apply. 
You need identification. So a copy of your driver's license, state issued ID or passport. You need uh, an SBA check. Wait, you need to complete the application, duh. And then it says you need payroll information. So, and then it has a list like IRS 949 employer. Y'all know, it's a lot of IRS language, but you can go read through there. Or if you're an independent contractor, an IRS 1099 miscellaneous income or an IRS 1090 with Schedule C. So a proprietor with no employees, you have to provide IRS uh, 1040 with Schedule 1 or an IRS 1040 with Schedule C. Yeah, they got it laid out. They got it laid out. That's good. Follow those steps. They just they need the taxes, basically, is what they're saying. Basically, basically. We should have that content. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm actually that I feel ready. I might have to just I'm thinking just just transparently, I might have to just send some folks 1099s and say, hey, look, I'm applying for this thing right here. You filling out this 1099 is gonna give me a better chance of getting money for you. Yeah. And definitely because yeah, you have to need that, you'll need that in the future too. Cause I, I had to actually issue seven ten ninety nines from last year, mm-hmm. which I didn't even know. That's another thing, y'all. I didn't even know that. They're like, I, well, maybe if you pay people more than six hundred, you need to do ten. I'm like, what? Um, I actually was getting. I I was preparing for that because of what I learned last year from you doing your show when you're talking to me, telling me about this. So I'm like, yeah. well done. <laughs> you know, like this is a, this is why I wanted to say it like that. This is a great modeling of when we talk about different knowledges, like. You, you mentioned that you are in communities where you trust the knowledge that other people have. So when you don't know something, you can go to them and ask them about like what it is. And I think that is a form of shared knowledge that we haven't been shown is as valuable as like our individual acquired knowledge, yeah. which is like, I don't, I'm, I don't know what the, the, I'm sure someone broke it down and wrote a term for it, but as I see it, it's like a, it's like a community-based knowledge, like a community database. So, like, in my Bristolhood, I, I feel like um, we all have, like, certain specialty areas. So then when we need to know about that specialty area, we'll quick go to that person and be like, hey, look, can you tell me this real quick? So when you were doing your show, and I knew that I was getting ready for a show the next year, I was mm-hmm. like, I don't even really have to be asking Melanie and be all up in her ass about what's going on. I just, like, just have conversations and listen to her about the challenges that she walked through. And then I assess in my private time, like, okay, Melanie with this challenge, let me, pre- let me prepare for myself to get into that challenge or navigate around it. That's what's, I mean, it, it's such a great practice. Cause it's actually, as you say that, I realized I did that the year before that, when I knew that I was preparing for my show last year and I was asking folks, like, how much do you pay artists? Like, what is mm-hmm. a, what is the fee that you're, so, you know, and I would take the, the average and be like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to definitely make sure I pay uh, the dancers this and for rehearsals this much. And that was because I saw other folks the year before modeling that um, yes. behavior. So let me, and I can, this is perfect transition into the conversation we want to talk about around college transitioning from like institutional learning into like the quote unquote real world. Once you, once you really get, you, you, graduation and I don't know how many people have really felt this way as I felt it but graduation from like the whole institute of knowledge so from kindergarten through wherever you decide to no longer engage with um American academic structures like that is like you got kicked out like you literally got booted because all of the support that you had within academic spaces the grants the scholarships the the networking all that other stuff just 
disappears the day you graduate. You cannot mm-hmm. go to the institution and and just reap some of the similar benefits. It's like night and day. And it's jarring and it honestly feels like depression oftentimes as well because you are you're you feel it like it felt like I was cold in the world all of a sudden. Um but I along with this we learned that there is a different kind of knowledge acquisition and, and knowledge usage that institutions does not prepare us for, but actually the life is life is requiring us to know. And if we expect to be students our entire lives, we're going to be missing out um, on so much knowledge out here. So just as Melanie and I were talking, there's a lineage that we can trace back now how like Jay Bowie specifically learned about 1099s and paying people because Melanie, I was listening to Melanie. Melanie was asking somebody else and we asked that person. They probably did the same thing. So there's, there, that's, that's the strength of networking that I just have become like a very important thing for me to keep saying that networking exists in this way where oral tradition is passed down and we get to be in relationship with people while we watch them navigate and struggle and be challenged we can help them out of challenges we're all learning together it is not where no one's out here alone yeah and i think also an, another muscle that has to be flexed and and you sort of hinted to this mm-hmm. is that you have to take in the information and apply it as necessary for you so yes. what that does not mean is someone telling you what to do or telling you how to do the thing it's like a lot of times you know jay does things away and i and i can sort of i can sort of absorb it and hear it but then i have to apply it specifically for what melanie needs and what is best best fits my situation so it may not be the actual action but it may be the intention behind the action it's the energy behind a certain action that needs to be implemented and not necessarily i need to do this exactly how jay is doing it and i think that's something else too we've talked about of of, as that is necessary for transitioning outside of the academia out of academia that is really excited about you regurgitating content that you've been given for Mm -hmm. grade rather than saying okay here's some content now tell me how you would process it how you would how you interpret it what are some other alternative you know what i mean which is what actually we have to do in the real world yeah that's that's what the real world is the real world is not no no knowledge regurgitated reflected back to some authority figure get access that's that's the that's the fault of the education system as it's set up right now because it doesn't even actually reflect the world um, so, and this, this is, this is often part of the root of certain frustrations that people in the arts world have. And we, we, we have peers and we've probably felt this ourselves who are feeling this. I did these things. I, I jumped through these hoops and these letters. Why well, don't have access to this space? Why well, don't have access to these performing arts communities? Why well, don't I have access to these funds? Because that's actually not, that was not even the assessment. That was not even, that was right. not the rules for you to actually get into that. You, you, you mythalized a system that doesn't even exist. Or you are you're you're putting on expectations to a situation that that doesn't apply to it. You know what I mean? Because like again, in academia, if you you're paid, your entry is your payment. So once you you pay, there you have the assumption that you have access to everything yeah. you paid. Well, it's like when you come out into the real world, whether you pay or not, you may not have access okay. for a variety of reasons. So I'm wondering too if it's like we can't look start to look at academia as like okay. But, you know, from from one year to 18 or whatever, 21, 26, like this is just your tool. You're building your toolbox. 
But then be very clear that like with all this knowledge that you're holding in your toolbox, you're going to actually have to use it to think analytically and actually put some pieces together or rearrange some material because you're going to have to think on your feet and think in the situation to an evolving culture that, like you said, Jay, so many times is not going to look the same when you come out as to what you've been taught. Yeah. So like basically you're taught history. Yes. And you've got to go out into the world and implement present. Because even, even, even now, the moment yep. that I am able, we are able to contextualize what we did. It is it has already started. The, the expiration date has already passed and it started to decay. So like. Right. Because like even the way I work, walked through the world with my work last year, we this was pre-COVID. Okay. So it's like even now how you approach your 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 con is going to be so different. Your work is going to be so different mm-hmm. because of that. All these new things have been put into play. And even even when the even before COVID, how you went through getting your show up in 2019-2019 versus what I need to do for 2019-2020 was different. And it may not have been like as starkly different as we can look at it now and notice it now, but it was it was different. It was the fact that, and I can point out this particular fact that um, every year tax laws change. So what when we're talking about paying people and, and navigating through taxes, what you learned last year is going to have, you have to adapt that knowledge for what the new rules are this year and that in the way the taxes work. Um, there was something else that else that she said that I really want, I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't have went down that route and should have just followed my instincts. Um, Cause you were talking about, um, Oh, new knowledge and, and what we need to do now. Oh, stepping away from leaving college and getting into the real world and realizing that, like, you learned history and now it's time for you to apply the knowledge. We are co-creating the dance industry. When people talk about the dance industry, everyone who is an active participator in it is as it defines what the dance industry is. So there is no tribunal of people who sit on their chairs and tell us what what institutions do, what da, da da da. We are not being led in that way. The trends are only reflections that we can share back to the world on what we're doing. But first, you got to be doing it. So when we, when you are like getting ready for college and stepping out and want to know what to do, jump in the mix with all of us. Like your thoughts and opinions are just as valuable as anyone else's. Your fears and you and how you do things is knowledge that we can learn. You don't need to be pat on the back by a teacher or an elder for you to know that it was right because when like I started this podcast and I wasn't like there that wasn't that wasn't the thing like I didn't have a lot of people running and being like oh my god this is the best thing since sliced bread there was a lot of people who would be like dancing ain't gonna listen to podcasts right the dancing the dancing or like nobody wanna hear these conversations so like the innovation innovation comes from people looking at life differently and the reason why we're able to look at life differently because we are different people so lean into the individuality and this is what artists are this is this is what institutions i like quick shout out to every institution that has understood this knowledge and shifted their programs and the curriculums to reflect this because there are many out there there are numerous i actually am a i i went through one um, Arizona State University's dance, pro- dance program was actually completely shifted to model this idea that like what we can best offer as an institution are questions that help artists sharpen themselves. 
not put them through a factory to be to be guaranteed to come nice. out That's beautifully said. And I would say just also be curious and courageous because a lot of times, like, whereas there are some areas, yes, you need to go out and pave your own way because people can't really speak on it because they're not doing it. And I also say there's a lot of movement and work happening in our field. Oh, yeah. Some of it's being duplicated. So, okay. you know, I mean, and that's, that's a fact too. It's like conversation happened over here, but it's happening over here and it's happening. But then it may or may not be moving forward. So there are spaces for you to get into if you have questions, comments, concerns, you want to be activated, or even just see what, what's like hot for people right now. Like, what are people talking about right now? You know? And that's actually super exciting because like, I love this idea of going into a space and hearing people, like knowing what's been done, hearing mm-hmm. what their concerns are. And then if for any reason something new sparks your energy, like, ooh, well, yeah. what I haven't heard is this. Because then sometimes it just requires you, like, I think you were saying this, doing the research and knowing that actually that was has been done in the past. Mm-hmm. Why did it stop? And then learn from that. Like, learn why a, a, a movement started and stopped. Like, I did that recently with wanting to know more about um, uh, mobile dance, right? Like, mm-hmm. in the 90s, 80s or 90s, I think, they had a mobile dance that happened where they did dance on the back of a truck bed all over Harlem. And it was their way of bringing dance to communities who could, would not go into the theaters or could not because of entry points. I'm like, that's dope. Like, what happened to that? Well, funding ran out, I think. Yeah. But a lot of people, but I, it was hard for me to find information on that. I actually had to um, reach out to some elders and was like, remember you said that dance was happening on truck beds? Can you? And they were like, they gave me a flood of content. Yeah. And yeah. that was amazing because I could not find it online. Yeah. Um, I love- I had- Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say, because I had a friend, and why was I looking up this content? Was because I had a friend who wanted to start doing mobile shows because they're getting kicked out of their performance space. So they were like, well, what if we just started performing in a truck? I was like, I think that's been done. Let me do some research. And you're not, and you're, and and that that moment I think it's been done is not to say, shoot your idea down. You're, you're not as creative because you didn't know the history. Like, no, 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 no. We're saying you ain't got to work as hard because someone has already walk down that road a certain point. So all you got to do is kind of pick up from where they left off or, or pick up, um, pick up what, pick up in a way that they couldn't at the time. You know what I mean? Like right. it's, it's all the same. information. Yeah. It's like, I was, I, 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 when I graduated, I realized like I was exerting too much energy trying to recreate the wheel. Mm-hmm. I, when, when my destiny was just to put spinners on it. Yeah. It's like, look, Jay, the wheels already created. Yeah. We got the structure and everything, boo. All yeah. you got to do, you know? Yeah. Follow that. So and, yeah. Um, yes. Yes, young people. You hear that? No, that's you to recreate the wheel. Yeah. Um, mm. And one thing you have to know, and I'll say this to whoever's out there listening. One thing you have to know is your audience. And you youngsters have the wrong audience because you're asking the wrong people the question. And, and I don't know another way to say that. You're asking somebody who hates you, are you pretty? What kind of sense does that make? I want to add to this then we transition into thinking, we are talking about thinking outside of college and stuff like that in academia. And we have to, I, I, we have to contextualize this by saying that a lot of the reasons why we even have our academic structure set up in this way is because of uh, capitalism. 
I mean, just like simply it. Our education system was set up to to take children and make them factory workers. We were we education was set up for us to produce and to be part of the capitalist engine. So even as artists, we're not even we we we. I believe spiritually we are not destined to do that kind of work. That's the point of being an artist. But a lot of our institutions have set us up to, um, like ballet institutions, um, the schools of ballet is set up for you to be the best in that workforce specifically. Like go produce shows, go get your leg up, go turn like this. And, and, there's, and there's like an athleticism to it. And it's all about like fitting within molds and slightly breaking molds, but not to think completely radically outside of the confines. It's, it's a reward system of fitting inside. Um, so then we can look outside of America for not only our different ways of thinking, our different creative model, creative um, practices, but also models of radically, radically, um, radically, um, applying our knowledge radically looking at other radical models looking at other things that happen around the world because we know this internet wise the world is already connected so like yeah i was gonna say i feel like it feels like we're actually like we're diving into a lot of different conversations actually um simultaneously which just is nature and sometimes it's messy um i will just offer that it is i think in some spaces it is Okay, if you if that your choice is to be basically a ballet factory worker, that's cool. Like that's a choice, right? But then there are those who does that make sense? Like, yeah, because it's not it's not a value system on like what whether it's good or bad. It's like it is like the ballet yeah. system is it it works this way. It works well because of these other support. Like American society supports that way of creating artists. Right, and, and that there are multiple, there are multiple, uh, uh, like, um, sy- not systems, but multiple models that you can follow. Just be aware of which one you're in, and yeah. if you're in one and you want to transition to another, understand, like, maybe, like, how you're thinking is either supporting or hindering you shifting into a different mindset. And yes. then now I get, like, Jay is saying, we're going to, like, provide, introduce new tools that also can sort of help with this expansive thinking about what is actually possible that, you know, we always like to look domestic, but like, how can we expand it internationally yeah. and, you know, yeah. open our periphery a bit? Because we are, we're all preparing for this new normal, this new art world, this new dance industry that we're going to be co-creating together. Um, so while watching Angela Davis and Nikki Giovanni speak um, on Girl Trek on Instagram Live, Nope, Facebook Live, which is still up. So I, I advise everybody to go to Girl Trek. Uh, it's like Star Trek, but girl, Girl Trek. Um, and watch one of their live videos. And just 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 listen to some wonderful black women elders tell you about yourself. That's kind of what it is. Um, but this particular moment kind of fueled our conversations around internationality, um, radicalism, and like dreaming of the future. This is from Angela Davis, y'all, in case you all know this voice. And that reminds me, and I wanted to say something about Black women internationally, because we've been pretty much talking about, you know, Black women only in the U.S., uh, uh, but there are Black women all over the world. Uh, uh, And, of course, in Brazil, uh, we find the largest Black population outside of Africa. Um, And... I've done, done, done a lot of work in Brazil over the last, I would say, two decades. Uh, and I think that we should be toward Brazil uh, for 
um, inspiration. And I have a, I have a, a picture. I'm going to get it and show it to you. Uh, This is, uh, this is a picture of uh, Maria de Franco, who was assassinated in Brazil about two and a half years ago. And, you know, there have been these incredible um, um, expressions of support for uh, Marielle. And now in Brazil, there are uh, vast numbers of Black women who participate in, um, in, in, in huge marches. Black women have been elected. The, the um, parliament in, is it called the parliament, in Rio de Janeiro has uh, um, uh, elected a Black trans woman, which reminds me that when we talk about Black women, we have to be um, capacious in uh, how we define black women. Uh, and um, Erica Malguin is her name, is this uh, wonderful um, black trans woman who's doing amazing uh, revolutionary political work in Brazil. And I say this because, uh, you know, sometimes we focus a little bit too much on ourselves and we forget about what's happening in other parts of the world. Uh, and, and I want us to be internationalists. Uh, and if, if one looks at the history of black women uh, who have been in the leadership of political struggle in this country, progressive black women, they've always had contacts with people struggling in other parts of the world, in Africa, in Asia, uh, in, in Latin America. And I think that is exactly what we need to do uh, at this moment. Um, just this other context, this conversation was specifically around um, healthy black women and girls. I think this is the name of the conversation. But this podcast is run with a um, black womanist lens and a lot of structures that we're doing are, um, or a lot of structures that we work within and lenses we work from is from that lens of black radical women in history. Um, and to hear Angela Davis just make it even more clear that Black radical political women leaders of history have always had connections internationally, but like a, but like a call for all things that we're thinking about now, re restructuring our future, planning, co-creating. I want to, that's my value. That's what I'm bringing to the center. And that means those practices mean that we have to, um, sounds like that's just my my fan um that's just something that we have to um do as people as well is like plan for the future become internationalists know what struggles are going on around the world and even in this conversation about like absorbing knowledge and creativity is like the challenges that we're facing in america with the education system is probably also reflected in other countries as well differently and and reflectively so when we're thinking about what it is that we need to do, what should we, how should we be doing things? Like America is one source of knowledge and then you have all of the, you have billions of other people across the world. Yeah. And <laughs> right. And I feel like, and take your time. Like I, I'm reminded that Angela Davis spent some time in Cuba as well as uh, Mama Shakur. And I think I can't, I don't know if it's, 
pronounced Grenada, Grenada. I apologize, but I know Angel Davis spent some time there too when she's being persecuted by the government. And so her, you know, her career has involved this sort of this this lens that is extended outward. And you know, I'll even say like um, when you know I've been to Cuba three times, and each time I go, what I, what actually is pretty amazing and phenomenal for me is that like realize seeing actually how much my black Southern culture is related to Afro-Cuban culture. And I had no idea until I visually saw it, experienced it, was inside of it. And I was like, wait, what y'all are doing right there? My grandma used to do in church. And then starting to make connections on, you know, the passage of humans and like just, and then, and, and what information we retain and why we retain, it, it just, it exploded as far as understanding um, resilience and, and, and just thinking and, and a lot of things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Like it's, it's this, I, and this is what we're talking. This is kind of why the conversation I'm realizing now has to be so expansive and tap onto everything because as artists, these are knowledges that we use in our creative practices. Yes. It, it's not like there's a separation between what I learned politically and what I learned in my black life internationally. That's like, Oh, that was that there. So let me, let me now put that, take that hat off and wear like my artist hat. And now I can absorb this information. It's like, it's all connected. It's all one. I am the artist. What I, 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 I acquire knowledge and information and then they show up and let me know how they can be useful yeah. uh, in different scenarios. Yeah. I, cause that one of the, you saying that Jay reminded me of like why all of a sudden I started to shift my model of, of how I want to host performances and curate spaces because I was like, why is this very sterilized model of performance not working for me? And, uh, and, and passivity with uh, audiencing, like, why is that not resonating with me? And it took me like going to Cuba and being immersed in like how, you know, we're just chilling in the living room, all of a sudden music happens or like, or we're walking down the street and we're, we're dancing with someone cause there's like a band that happens to be on the sidewalk and then remembering how, how immersive or how different just my, my art and music was growing up before I decided to take a dance class. Yeah. Like how I was making work and how I was hosting dinner shows in my family house just for fun. Yeah. What that looked like. And I was like, oh, now I'm starting to see why this doesn't serve me. Like it doesn't serve me in the same way. And and this is a model for someone, but yeah. this is why it's not moving my spirit. Yes. Because that this is not how my spirit was even was was even birthed and sparked for this this form. So yeah. yeah, you're right. And then it, how it shows up in all the other aspects of your life, politically and in your advocacy and, and yeah. It, and what it, and hasn't that challenged you to um, to recontextualize the knowledge you got from academic spaces? Absolutely, because then we we all we assume that it's the truth, but it was it okay. was not right. Or you know there was a, there was a moment in history when they decided to no longer have food in theater spaces during shows. You know, and let's talk about why they made that choice. Or why was it that the, the poor seats were in the front, and the rich people got the seats in the back? And like, what happened when that proscenium model shifted? Like, and why did it shift for that particular culture? Yeah. And then yeah. out. It's like these are all really great questions that you can start asking when you do start to expand your 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 thinking around um, what's possible and like the what and the why. And when we allow for the knowledge that academic spaces give us to be the the really rigid boxes in which we create and see our lives in, 
we've determined that they were right. Like, that's how that works. We let them know that they're right by not questioning it, by not teasing it, by not tussling with it, by not holding up against other knowledges, and by not choosing to actually move away from it and say, thank you for this, but it doesn't support me over here. I got to do this. Um, and I feel like those things come up those things come up for me when I'm thinking about the content of my work and then the the framework that I was envisioning putting it in. It's like the oh, content yeah. of work is it's around blackness, it's around like church experiences, it's around spirituality, da 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 da. What does this proscenium space do to support any of that? Oh yes. And yes. And then when I realized, like, oh, this proscenium space doesn't support this work, it's not about it's not about shitting on proscenium spaces. It's not about shitting on artists who prefer that, who find that that is their field to to plow and to plant and to grow. But it's to say that for what I'm doing, I need to go find something else. And that is why, for me, I call education to to bring in other systems of knowledge so students know that the proscenium space is not the only space that they can make work in. Right. And, and, and what you're saying, it does speak to a certain type of artistic practice that we are really both invested in, which is like a digging deeper. And like, we have our questions, but then it's like understanding the context around the what and the why of those questions. Um, I'm also thinking about, and again, like what's, what's pretty amazing about in, like, especially academic institutions is like, there's a lot of knowledge there. There's a lot of books you can read. There's a lot of things you have access to, but you have to know that you have access to them. Um, it's like, I'm thinking about when I started really being interested in burlesque work and everything around me was, was shaming it and speaking ill of it, right? Yeah. Like, actually, no, I'm gonna do some more homework on this. And then learn, like, digging, digging, dig, digging, that burlesque the form started off as a comedic form of art for very intelligent women who would use it to go on stage and make very strong political statements mm -hmm. and criticize society in a certain way. And that's how it started as a form. And that when the male gaze started to become more influent in those spaces, it shifted and it shifted and it shifted. And so, the burlesque spaces I've been a part of, what I'm excited about is that there is a, a return to this very uh, brilliant comedic political uh, content, but with a, you know, a, a new millennium spin on it. And it's like, yes, but see, I think you have to know the history of that and to know that you're referencing that. And then like, well, what can, where can it go now? And there's so many other aspects of it that even for me, there are so many beautiful tools of burlesque that show up in my contemporary work. Yes. And, and but it's like also they were never sep they're only separated because I chose to separate them because institutions said they were separate. This is a genre over here. If you want this one, this is where it is over here for organization. But it's like actually all of these forms constantly inform each other. Constantly. 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 Or even makes me think about Josephine Baker, how much she was sort of villainized in the black community with yeah. the work that she was doing. And whereas now our generation is looking back on her and being like, oh, she was fierce. Like yeah. the stuff that she was doing and saying and her radicalness and her, you know, being part of the French Revolution uh, mm -hmm. resistance. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, no, she was actually on some other stuff. She really was. Similar to like Zora Neale Hurston. Um, mm -hmm. Her legacy essentially like in her life she she passed she passed on without seeing 
the the nation and and black community even more specifically um, love her work as much as we have learned to love her now. And that was because Alice Walker went back and I think she wrote an article saying looking for Zora. Um, but at her time, while she was alive making work, she was being shitted on by the likes of W.E.B. Du Bois and, and Langston Hughes because she was writing her Black work with the intention of Black people engaging with it and from a perspective where Black people will be able to understand it. So she was not writing in, like, the King's English. She was specifically writing in a way that her people spoke where she's from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At that time, she was, she was not supported because of it, but now times have changed, concepts have changed. I would look at her for guidance. <laughs> yeah, and that reminds me of Ann Petrie. Am I saying it right? She has this book called The Street and the Narrows, also written um, for Black folks. And, and even I was like, whoo, child, I don't even know. I don't yeah. know what that sentence is, but I, I love it. I will figure it out. Oh, and so good. For, I would say this for me, and I'm, I'm realizing I'm moving further and further away from the word artist as I am moving closer to the word griot. Um, Who? Griot. Okay. Um, griots were. Um, I'm just gonna read Google because I'm still learning, and I don't wanna. I don't wanna just start saying things, and then somebody be like, "Well, actually, Jay," and I'd be like, "You're right," but I'm just nervous. Um, Griots were um, a class of traveling poets, musicians, and storytellers who maintain a tradition of oral history in parts of West Africa. Um, yeah, so I feel I feel like that language works better for what I'm intending to do with my work. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I'm saying that to say this, these thought process, these conversations these challenges that we are both going through to figure out how to be quote-unquote artists in this world have led us to wonderful discoveries and part of those discoveries are only made because we allow the information that we acquire to change us Mm -hmm. expect it to change us slash we make space for it to change us like we really sit down and cocoon ourselves and rest ourselves and pull back away from to allow for the change to happen. And I think that just, I just want to transition into action items um, that you have for us, Melanie. And I think the only action item I have after reflecting on this conversation up to this point is to let new information change you. Let it. Like, we are not meant to be rigid. We are not meant to be fixed. We are not meant to be the same as we were the moment before. So when you have new information come in and you don't know where to place it and it changes your life and it makes you uncomfortable, like, let it. <laughs> That's right. the of it. The only constant is change. That's all right. And who said that? Another black woman. Here, <laughs> but let's just, look. <laughs> Because, like, goddamn, like, it, it's just like there's there's never been a moment in my life where I asked, like, of history, what did black women do at this time that I didn't go, I if I was in this time, I would be with those black women. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. And on that note, Who wanna get at the yeah. our action items, okay? All right. All right, folks, we got three action items that you can choose to do one, all, or, or whatever, but here they go. Um, and they are, one is that Dance NYC, which many of you know, 
Um, they have a letter circulating around that's going to go to Mayor de Blasio demanding that dance representation be added to the Arts, Culture, and Tourism Advocacy Council. So this council is in charge of, for those who are in New York City, this council is in charge of all the reopening strategies and what will be necessary as far as how we how we establish our new normal. And get this, on this council currently, there is no one representing dance. And that is a problem. So we need someone on this panel. And we also, there's going to be, uh, the link is going to be in the description box of a letter that you can sign that will go to de Blasio to say, hey, here's a here's an issue and we need it to be resolved. We need to have some representation. How dare you, okay? Um, the second action item is just to know that there is, also with Dance NYC, there is a, a video campaign going around called Artists Are Necessary Workers. Um, some of you may have gotten an email about that where it's just, you were invited to do a video just to say who you are and that you feel that artists are necessary workers. Um, I believe the submission for the videos are complete, but they are going to start a series of town halls and such that. So, you know, follow that hashtag, follow Dance NYC so that you can be a part of those conversations. Um, and then the third thing is, uh, again, this is all um, based in New York, in New York and New York State. Um, so NISCA is the New York State's Council of the Arts. NISCA funds a lot of organizations, a lot of program groups. So for you folks who are like, wait, what does that mean? It means when you get commission fees from certain organizations, when you get a curatorial fee, it is coming from NISCA. It is coming from funds from NISCA. Well, last week or the week before last, they announced to do a huge budget cut of like half of its budget. So how does that affect you artists? It means if that if they don't have funding to give to organizations and, and to give to individuals, that means that that affects you. You're not gonna get that money to support your work and to support the work of your friends in our community. So there is also a petition letter going around that demands that there are no cuts to NISCA. No cuts. We want no cuts. Because already NISCA's budget is very thin. Like already for what it is tasked to do and who it is tasked to support, it is already low. And what we do not need is it to be slashed in half. And just so you all know, these three, these three action items are fairly simple. Um, they're as easy as a click on a link and sign your name or follow, tell your friends about it. Um, I will say that the letter for de Blasio is specifically for organizations to sign. If you are an individual and you know of an organization, send it, send it to the people you know. Thank you. Um, okay. Just they sign it. Can I just add a little fire under that specific point? Please. When you find out something is institutional only and you are not within the institution, you're an individual artist outside on these streets and you know the decisions that this institution would make or the decision that institution needs to make is going to greatly benefit, benefit you, that's when you put fire in their ass. You tag them on these social media things, you send them emails. Like institutions work similarly to how our government works. When you're active and you let them know what you fucking need, and how you need it and why they need to be active in it, it's going to be really hard for them to not pay attention to miss it. And I also say that in a sense, like in relationship to like institutions that are notorious for just like, just missing these conversations and just like not being in the room where it happens. But then on the other end, when it comes to like the organizations that we have more like a trusting relationship with, there are individuals working in here, just like Melanie and I, individuals working on like the fun. We miss things. 
we are overburdened. We are also in this pandemic as well. So if you let them know, like you're tagging them and stuff, you're trying to bring to attention what they can do. This, this, this can, this could be like that answer for them that they're looking for. Like, yeah. so like, but essentially you are not powerless at all just because you are not working within an institution and have institutional backing. You have individual backing. <laughs> Again, it's like, and if you think about it for some, like, so say you're an artist who's in a residency or an artist who wants to get a residency and you know of an organization that you want, you want to make sure they continue to get funding so they can continue to support you and support your cohort. You need to make sure that they know that this is out there in the world. And what will be great is if they email you back and say, oh yeah, we've already signed it. Or not, if not, oh, thank you so much. We'll sign it today. Yep. And last tip, don't be afraid to call folks out on social media. When I say that, I mean like call them out, call them in, call them wherever direction you need them to go. It's good to you. You don't have, I say this in the sense of like, I say that like there's often fear about like, I don't know, but then there's also the sense of like, I don't really be on my emails like that. I'm not expecting anybody to jump into their emails and make that form a little. That whole construct of emails right now has taken on a life that I understand artists and anybody else is being anxiety written when they go into there. You can just, as you're scrolling through stuff, you can make a quick little story post and be like, I just saw this letter. Um, uh, I love these organizations. I'm tagging y'all, hoping that you've seen it or that you've signed it. And somebody who runs a social media page is going to tell, going to run back. Like, you know what I mean? So you mm-hmm. use say it wherever you're at you don't have to you don't have to jump outside of who you are to make the world know yeah. because, you know what i mean you don't have yeah. i'm trying to i'm just really trying to make these action items and a lot of the stuff that we're talking about in this episode it all comes from the aries perspective of just do it and when we just do it we realize most of the stuff that gets in our way is just our own fear but not actually the energy it takes to get the thing done right because then it's like like you said do it how, like, you do it how you would do it. Like, I'm going to do it like Melanie would do it. Jay's going to do it how Jay needs to do it. But we're doing it. All right? That's, That's the Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, that was, I feel like this was one of my favorite episodes. Is We had a lot of content. I mean, there's so, and it's just so, oh, oh my gosh, I'm so, if, I feel so expansive. Like, you can go so many places. I do. And before we end this conversation, I have to, um, shit. Okay. Let me just, let me just make a note of this. Cause I want to put this at the top of the episode. Um, I thought I would do this, but you know, the spirit caught me right where I needed, where it really needed to catch me. Um, I want to, I want to make, I want to, I want to take this week's moment of silence. Um, and, and, um, dedicate a bit of it this minute of silence to Ahmad Arbery yes not specific not 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 only specific to Ahmad his family and the the lynching unfortunately that took his life but also for what his death and what that video and what the fight currently meant for the state of many black Americans um the grieving that we do when we when we see one of our own lynched throughout this nation, throughout time, throughout history, that we we go into this certain instinctual space that I felt that we were all connected in. So I want to make space. I want to make, I want to dedicate that moment of silence to him and to us this week. 60 seconds of silence beginning now.
All right. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Dance Union Podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at uh, the Dance Union as well as Facebook. Similarly, the Dance Union. Send us emails at thedanceunionpodcast at gmail.com. And listen to us on any place you can follow or any place you can listen to podcasts. Only place that you can't listen to us right now is Title. Even though that may change because I, I I might have a little bit more funds to work with to get this show. It just costs a little bit more per month. But I feel like uh, I feel like we, we have a blessing. Um, uh, there was some, what else do I say at the end? I have to be really Huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you. Please make sure uh, to check out our um, NYC Dancers Relief Fund. And when you do so, share and or donate. And if you don't, if you cannot donate, if you're not in a position to share it to somebody who might be in a position to donate. Every time the 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 fund is shared, it it just puts it in front of somebody who may be able to help and support. Um, we are sending and distributing a third round of funds right now, which we are wonderfully blessed to be able to do this for more than just the initial round we're in the third round we're feeling deeply appreciated we're feeling really rejuvenated and inspired when we know that we can like do some harm reduction in response to this so um this is one of those loving honorable um roles that we're fulfilling right now that is is only really done when we all work together Yes. Well, if you if you want to continue to see the dance community get support, get really fade, share it. It's kind of like that's the, that's really all we're asking um, is to just share and let folks know that we out here because we're getting donations. We're getting like nice, wonderful, anonymous, big ass donations that are coming through. We're grateful. Yes. Yeah. So when we ask you to share, it's 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 to say that we see a direct correlation between shares and and getting donations, which means getting people the help that they need. Yep. Um, with that said, we're going to wrap this thing on up and do our dance union has, um, Melanie, you mentioned that you don't have one, but you have another perspective to share. I do. I feel like we are in the doing and the, in the becoming. And so to me, my dance union have is evolving into us in the now, like it's what, it's what we are presently doing and, and, and listening to and being mindful of mm-hmm. kind of what it's feeling like for me right now. Yeah. So, and in, in like in response to that, I feel like our my dance union has dancers showing up to do the work. Yeah. Um, and that's as, as that is ex, as expansive as you want to make it, and it means whatever you want it to mean. But I really, I feel like it's all about actions right now, and it's a and and I'm I'm my lens is on what we are doing, and not so much what we're talking about. I value what we're talking about because it does yep. get us to do things, but I, I have to really assess from this point on what, what, what we're doing. Right. Because dance is inherently political. And I, I think about all of our ancestors like the Catherine Dunhams and like the, the um, Josephine Bakers who were extremely political actually in the work that they were making. Elio Pomari. Um, yeah. I, I don't see that they separated their political selves and what was necessary for rights and advocacy from yeah. the work that they were making. Absolutely. Um, you know, let us take a note from them and, and just figure out how that how we integrate our advocate advocate self and our political selves into our our everydays because it's there. It's there, and and this is this is not only like a black uh, woman. This is not only like a marginalized people thing. This is like the truth of life. Every piece of art and literature that we have engaged with and saw was great. Was responding to the context and the politics of the time that they were going through. William Shakespeare's work was what it was because of the plague. Like, well, yeah. uh, 
the Odyssey was what it was because what was going on in, in, in Greek mythology. So all artists are implicated in, in, in this and to say whether you know it or not, what we're doing, what you're doing, what you're thinking about is contextualized by the politics. So we, yeah. you don't have a choice whether you're connected. We just are. We're all connected. Right. <laughs> and understand that any kind of entity that tries to get you to segment or separate yourself is intentionally doing so to keep you uh, unorganized, disorganized and not in harmony with each other. Like that's actually what it's intended to do. Taking away, taking you away from your power. Taking you, yeah, and each other. It's like, oh, it, they're trying to find ways of, of segmenting us. So I'm like, oh, well, I'm not like this person over here because of X, Y, and Z, rather than actually we have a lot in common because of X, Y, and Z. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, from some of the same system, they're trying to tell you that you ain't got nothing in common. It's the, the system is what y'all have in common. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the oppressive system at that, that is yeah. oppressing both of you. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But um, thank you for listening to another episode and five, six, seven, eight. We out. We are out. Jay's going to run to the back of the pee real quick. No song by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or the rare earth. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live.